Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. This morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When I finish, I am going to say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, ma'am. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the shepherd of our soul. Lord, we give you full control. We ask that you speak to us this morning. We ask, oh God, Lord, that you would um, quiet all the noise, Lord, around us and in our hearts so that we can hear your voice alone. And Lord, I ask, oh God, Lord, for myself, Lord, that I might love your people well. Lord, that you might strengthen me, oh God, to um, do justice to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. So over the last five weeks, we have um, considered a series called Charismata. Really, um, it's a Greek word for spiritual gifts, and it's gotten from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it refers to how the Holy Spirit gifts God's people, gifts the children of God to serve him in special ways. And so we began by looking at healing and miracles. We looked at encouragement and mercy. We looked at preaching and teaching. 
we consider tongues uh, probably the most uh, controversial of them all. And we also looked last week, Dami showed us powerfully, um, about serving and helps. And we've said that all these gifts are concentrated mainly in three passages. So there's Romans chapter 12, there's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and there's 1 Peter chapter 4. And we've also established that even though the gifts are there in, in the passages, they are listed out. It's not an exhaustive list. Rather, it's indicative of how the Spirit works and how he resources his people. And so we saw that because all these gifts are from the same spirit, they are all supernatural. Some are extraordinary, um, some are not so extraordinary. So you have, in the same list you have in, in Romans 12, you have um, teaching, for instance, and you have there, in that same list, mercy. You have encouragement. And you're wondering, how is that even a gift? Well, the Bible tells us that it's a gift. And so to round off the series, we've decided to look at um, love and see how love is actually the means by which the spiritual gifts are served and how they are meant to be expressed. And you might be thinking, what does love have to do with the gifts? After all, it's not a gift. And you'll be correct. Um, because Paul actually shows us that it's not just us who ask this question. It's the Corinthians as well. You know, we live in an age where everybody loves love. Um, you say things like, I love your hair. I love your shoes. And we know that when that person says that, the person does not mean they love the hair or the shoes in the same way when they say something like, I love my child or I love my spouse. It's the same word, but it means different things. And to different people, it means, it, 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 love has become such a word that means everything that it can almost mean nothing. So what does love have to do with the gifts? Well, there's a song that was written in 1984, released in 1984 by an American singer called Tina Turner. And in the song, she actually asks the same question. What does love have to do with the gifts? No, she doesn't ask what does love have to do with the gifts. She says, what does love have to do with it, right, with the relationship that she was singing about? And the chorus of the song says, what's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? And she goes on to say, what's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a sweet, old-fashioned notion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? And it's almost as if, if the Corinthians had a song playing in the background while they were reading this letter, it would be this song. Like we've been talking about the spiritual gifts. We've been talking about tongues and how all these things are meant to be expressed in the life of the church. We've been talking about serious issues. Paul had been teaching them about things like settling disputes and how believers shouldn't be taking each other to court. He had talked about um, idol food, like some of us that Ed Salah meet these last few weeks. Serious issues. And then all of a sudden... He just starts talking about love, and they're asking, what's love got to do with it? Because just like us, and like Tina Turner in the song, the Corinthians did not think highly of love. You know, 
many times we think that love is the stuff of teenage fantasies. And that this passage is actually a passage for weddings. And maybe there's actually a couple at who are going to come forward at the end of the sermon to be wedded. We think about serious things like doing great things for God, not love talk. All this love talk makes us uncomfortable. But you see, Paul actually wants us to see that rather than being just a mere add-on to the Christian life or to the use of our gifts, love is actually a necessary prerequisite to serve God's people well. And so Paul makes three arguments in this passage, which we'll consider briefly in chapter 13. He shows us, first, the poverty of lovelessness. He shows, secondly, the focus of love. And he shows, lastly, the permanence of love. The poverty of lovelessness, the focus of love, and the permanence of love. And let's look at it together. You see, when Paul closed chapter 12, he says, yet... And yet, so he says in verse 31 of chapter 12, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Remember that unlike us in this church, or unlike the most charismatic church you can think about in our modern times, where we talk about the gifts mainly in aspirational and incremental terms, like we want to see more of these things. The Corinthian church is said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, to be a church where no gift was lacking. Can you just think about what that means? What Sunday service would be in that kind of church where no gift was lacking? Like the church would be packed with sick, sick people and people would be healed. Like people want prophetic words and all those things would be given in the church. And rather than talking about one extra gift that they can add on, Paul says, I want to show you an excellent way. And he unpacks this excellent way in verses 1 to 3. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And can you just imagine as a Corinthian, you are reading this section where Paul had already acknowledged that there is nothing, no spiritual gift lacking in your church. And you read this, and the tendency is to feel irritated and annoyed. Like, what is this guy even talking about? We don't lack anything. We don't lack any spiritual gift. And yet you are telling us that if we express these gifts, we are nothing. And probably there was someone who was reading the letter, and just like Pastor Femi was doing with Femi Akinwai this morning. He said, Apostle, it's only because it's you. If not, I'll have said you are silly. Because you've acknowledged that all these gifts are present, and yet you are telling us that we are certain things without them. But you see, Paul wants to make his point, and in doing so, he uses three examples, three gifts. So he says, speaking in human and angelic tongues, or human and angelic languages, without love, is like a child who is banging or trying to drum. I don't know if you've seen this before. A child who is trying to drum. But because he hasn't gotten his, his coordination well, he just starts hitting the cymbal, just hitting the cymbal, hitting the cymbal, and he's making noise, not music. 
It says a person who speaks prophetically, operating with accuracy in, in bringing prophetic words, someone who brings forth the words of wisdom and words of knowledge, and even has a faith that can uproot a mountain, like literally, without love. It's not just that that, that is nothing. It is that that person is nothing. And what Paul is getting at here is, is like how you see area boys fighting on the road, and they are wrestling, trying to box each other. He said, you don't know me. And now that one replies, who you be? I am so and so and so. I said, I beg and I lie, you are nothing. It is meant to show disdain. It is meant to show that not just that you can't do anything, it's actually that you yourself are nothing. And Paul says again that someone who gives all of their possession to charity, someone who gives themselves, sells themselves literally into hardship, into difficult circumstances, so that they can boast about such noble acts, all without love, gains nothing. Again, he uses the language of business, like making an investment. And rather than getting profit on your returns, you actually make a loss. Paul says all of these things, operating in this way, is nothing. And by doing this, Paul opens the categories of the Corinthians where people who had the gifts and just having the gifts and displaying the gifts was to be important, was to be um, accepted, was to be notable. He says, no, it is not just important, it is not just necessary to have the gifts. It is important that we operate out of love for others. And so he shows that a loveless life is a poor life. It may appear to have many things, but it actually has nothing. See, the reason why this is important is because we cannot, and that's the point Paul is making here, that we cannot use our gifts well, we cannot properly use our gifts to serve others well if we do not love them, if we do not care about them. You see, there's a tendency sometimes for us to think about those people who are gifted in a certain extraordinary way. And so we notice the people who are prominent, people who are leading others. And we are quick to notice how that this person who is leading others is a loveless person, is a hard person. He bosses other people, he's proud, he's rude to people, and say, yes. But me, that I'm just in my corner showing mercy and doing all the other little things. No, I don't have that problem. And so Paul uses gifts from both categories. In verse 2, he talks about a person who prophesies. And we saw, that, we, we, we saw that when we considered encouragement and mercy, we saw like Agabus, who prophesied, who gave accurate words of knowledge. And Paul says that even if you give an accurate word of knowledge like Agabus, you predict a coming famine, and yet you do not show love to people. You are nothing. But then for those of us who think that it is only for those with prominent gifts, he says in verse 3 that a person who serves and gives of their possession, gives of their resources, sells themselves literally into hardship for others, all because they want to show off. It says that person as well is nothing. It is poverty. Some of us may have heard or known of the, of, of the children's story called the emperor's new clothes. How many of us know that story, the emperor's new clothes? Right, OK. The rest of us that don't know, here is, here's the story. So the Emperor's New Clothes is a children's story written by a Danish author um, who died in 1800s called Hans Andersen. And basically, the story goes something like this. There's a vain emperor who really wants to, who just likes showing off himself, vaunting 
what he has, his possessions, and making people know how wealthy and prestigious he is. And so from time to time, he wears new clothes and parades the streets. And so he falls into the hands because he's such a vain person, and he's like, I really want to like, move to the next level. I want to show everybody I got it. And so he falls into the hands of two con men. And these two con men promise him that they will make clothes for him that nobody that isn't on his, um, anybody that is not on his level won't be able to see it, that only he can see it. <laughs> and so they design this set of clothes for him, and they bring it out. But he doesn't see anything. But because he doesn't want them to think less of him, he allows them to dress him up. And his other guys in the, in the kingdom, his courtiers and all the other people, don't see anything as well. But they don't want the king to think that they can't see because they are not up to the king's level. And so what do they do? They don't see anything as well. And so the king actually steps out naked and is parading the streets, doesn't have any clothes on. But the people in the kingdom too don't want other people to think that they can't see because if, they, if other people think that they can't see, everybody thinks less of them, and they're not all on the same level. And so everybody follows through, and everybody is pretending. Until, and so the king is parading the streets, and everybody is hailing him in his emperor's new clothes, which is no clothes at all, until a child shouts out. But he has no clothes on. But because the king is so proud, he doesn't want anybody to think of him. What does he do? Rather than step aside and find some actual clothes, he keeps parading in his clothes. And the point of the story is that when you want to buy your clothes, make sure that you actually buy real clothes. <laughs> no, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that we might think that we have certain things, have certain gifts, have certain attributes, that we are gifted in certain ways. But Paul says that if you are not dressed in love, showing love to the people of God as you serve with those gifts, you are like that emperor walking naked on the streets. You are unclothed. You may deceive yourself like the emperor deceived himself. You may deceive others like the emperor deceived others. Or others may even be deceived by you and your prestige and how you show the gifts. But ultimately, it will always be obvious. And so the question Paul poses to us, the question we find in this text is, are we showing mercy for some of us who are gifted with mercy and how we feel that God has given us the resources to help and to serve others? Are we doing that because we actually love and care about people? Or are we doing it because we actually want people to know how great and how merciful we are? You know, there's a way you can show mercy, and you do it in such a public way that you, you are not, the aim is not actually to help that person. The aim is for people to know how merciful and how generous as a person you are. And for those of us who are gifted with speaking gifts, prophetic words, Preaching and teaching, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, tongues and interpretation. Are we doing it in such a way that we are seeking to serve other people and care for their souls and actually show them how great and how grand God is? Or are we doing it so that people can see how logical and how clear-minded and how articulate we are? Or for some of us who are gifted with musical um, gifts, I like to pick on the music team. Are we doing it because we actually care and want to serve the people of God and want to show for the greatness of God? Or are we doing it because we want people to know how 
great our falsetto is or how great our voices are. The point Paul makes to all of us this morning, regardless of the category of gifts that we have, big or small, is that if we are not doing it in love, we are poor. We are the emperor without clothes. And so Paul is really intent on irritating and annoying the Corinthians, and he does so. But he doesn't just stop there. He shows, secondly, that the focus, it shows what, rather, the focus of love is. And I move to the second argument Paul presents here. If a loveless life is poor, Paul says, he shows what a rich, the richness of a life of love looks like. And he says that that kind of life is dedicated to serving other people. And so in verses 4 to 7, this section where we like to recite at our weddings, or for some of us who are not very gifted poetically, just dub the Bible and give it to your loved one. He says here, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And you see, Paul doesn't want us to be fuzzy about what love is. He doesn't want us to think that love is a certain thing. He doesn't want us to say, I love ice cream. I mean that when we mean that we're actually loving the people of God. And so to get at the heart of what Paul says, he uses a Greek word, which some of us may know, agape, to describe what this kind of love is. And that word agape means really unconditional love. The idea of agape, the idea of this unconditional love, is a love that is not motivated by what it can gain or get from the other person that is seeking to serve. It's a kind of love that is not motivated, and this is a crucial one, is the kind of love that is not motivated by the object of its service. It's a love that doesn't want to get from others, rather it wants to give to other people. I like the way someone put it, a pastor named Machandla. He says, this kind of love is a love that says, I have seen the ugly parts of you and I am staying. It's a love that is, you know, we say oftentimes love is blind. No, this love is not blind. It recognizes very well the faults in other people. Where it says, regardless of those faults, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to put you above my needs and my interests. And so Paul describes the focus of this kind of love. He says it is a patient and kind love. It recognizes that no human being has risen to the extent of being infallible, of being perfect. And so it shows kindness to others. No wonder it says in verse 7 that this kind of love always hopes. It always believes in people despite their flaws and their faults. When we consider an encouragement, this is the kind of love we saw with um, someone like Barnabas, who even though Mark, John Mark was behaving in certain ways that wasn't really good at the time, deserted them, it was the kind of love that said, no, we want this guy back on our team. We were going to help him and disciple him. It's a kind of love that does not bully people into getting what you want. Rather, it doesn't intimidate them, but rather seeks their own good and seeks their benefits. He says again in verse 4 to 7 that love does not envy, does not boast, and is not prideful. And we see across the Bible that envy, pride, and boasting are actually related. In, in James chapter 4, 
James talks about a community where they envy, and because they don't get what they want, they kill and are proudful. And Paul rebukes across the book of Corinthians as well. Paul rebukes the, the, the Corinthians for this envious and competitive view of the gifts, where everybody is trying to outdo one another, not in good, not in service. We're like, eh, so you preach that way this week. I will show you next week. Or you give so, so and so amount to, this, to someone. You're like, eh, I'll, I'll do you. And this is, if you don't know, this is the idea behind launching programs. We ever talk, talk, thought about um, organizing a launching event for things like we do in Nigeria. This is a fantastic idea. If you don't know what a launching in Nigeria is, a launching is where you have something. Someone wants to like, present their book to the public. And so it gets to the, to the place where, um, so you invite all these notable people, you invite rich people, and then you say, oh, how many copies are you going to buy? And so someone stands up and says, for a school or a library that he has never been to, he says, for the library in my village, I will buy 100 copies for 1 million. Woo, 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 woo. Everybody shouts. But then the organizer of the event has brought the guy's competitor in business. And that one says, eh, 100 copies for 1 million. And he goes and says, I, I will buy 50 copies for 1 million. He has actually increased the amount per head. And then it spreads across and across like that. And they are being generous. They are giving money. They are giving their resources. But it doesn't come from a place of love. It comes from a place of competition. And Paul says that there's a tendency for us to be these kind of people who are competitive in the expression of our gifts. We're actually doing stuff, but we're doing it because we want other people to think well of us and not, not the things that we're actually trying to achieve. And so he goes on, he says, this kind of love does not dishonor others. It does not put people down. It doesn't get angry easily. It's not the kind of love that says, I have warned you several times. I have taught you these things several times, and yet you keep messing up. No, he says it does not get angry easily. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. You know, from time to time, we joke about things like forgive and forget. And we say, oh, yes, forgive, but don't forget. And we don't mean that in a biblical sense, like don't allow people to take advantage of you. Rather, what, sometimes what we mean is, when we say don't forget, it's actually like write it down. <laughs> and I've heard of stories of people where they actually like, <laughs> and then the person comes with like a notebook, like on January the 3rd, at 5 o'clock, you did this and this. On September the 5th, and I'm like, ah, ah, bros, say yes, I'm keeping a record of your wrongs. And Paul doesn't want us to be like that. Paul doesn't want us to be the kind of people who are always writing down, looking out for this person that stepped my shoe, my white sneakers last week, and you're always penning the thing down and seeking to put them down next time when you can't get it. Paul says, rather, it's a love that does not keep a record of wrong. It has a posture, it says in verse 7, of always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, always persevering. And what he shows us here is that this kind of love is not focused on itself. This agape love, rather, is focused on others. You can talk about people all you want. You can say you serve people. You can say you use the gifts that you have to bless people. But if all that is really being displayed when you are showing your gifts, when you are employing your gifts, is, is yourself. And the song people are thinking about when you are done is how great you are. Not to God, but to you. Paul says, rather, that you don't have a life of love. 
And so Paul shows us that this love is a love that is focused on others. But then he makes a point, and you have to look at verse 47 again very carefully to see. He says, the point he's making that this kind of love is a love that is not just based on feelings, but a love that is based on actions. And so he employs verbs all through this section. He says it, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It rejoices in the truth. It protects. It trusts. It hopes. It perseveres. And it's communicating to the Corinthians, and by extension, the Holy Spirit is saying the same thing to us, that when we say we love, when we say, or rather, what we, what we should be doing when we are loving and caring for other people is to demonstrate to them how much we love and value them, not just by saying it, but by the things we do as well. And so what does this mean for us as a community? It means that, first of all, if there's a teenager or someone who is a single person here and you are thinking about things like love, maybe someone has said they love you or you feel like you love someone, test it. Don't just base it on how you feel because feelings come and go. Some of us who have been married can attest to this very well. Feelings come and go. And Paul says that love is not just based on how you feel, it is based on what you do, how you demonstrate a life-giving and self-sacrificing love for the other person. And for some of us as married people, maybe our marriages are in a rough place or we're in a difficult spot because we have gotten to the point where all that you can think is, I don't feel loved by this person. And I'm not saying there isn't anything there. I'm not saying that there isn't something to it. But Paul says to us that love is not primarily just about feelings. It is primarily about what we do. And so this love means that sometimes we may have to step outside of our comfort zones. We may have to do things that we naturally would not be comfortable doing because we care about other people. We want to serve them. It means sometimes that we have to give ourselves physically to the point of exhaustion. In Philippians chapter 2, that Dami showed us last week, where um, Paul talks about Epaphroditus. He talks about Epaphroditus because he longed for the Philippians, because he cared for them, he wanted to serve them. He got to a point where he was physically ill. And the question that arises, when last did you fall physically ill because you loved and cared about someone? And I'm not saying that love always means that we have to be at this point of being drained, of existing at zero, of always like, Everybody is maxing you out. No, that's not the point. But the point is, if you are not constantly in a place where you are giving yourself over and over to people, check whether you love and care about them. Paul also shows us that this is a love that is patient and is hopeful in other people, particularly for some of us who are in positions where we counsel. We counsel our kids or we counsel younger people. And there's a tendency sometimes to like, Man, this person cannot change. And so instead of speaking to them in love, you are just speaking in anger. You are just speaking in annoyance. And you are not helping them. You are not serving them well as they should be served. Paul says this kind of love, the focus of this love is helping the other person. And he realizes that he has to be patient. He has to be hopeful. He has to persevere. He has to trust. Paul says also that sometimes what this will mean for us as a community is that in exercising our gifts, we have to be kind towards other people. People are going to say things that annoy us. People are going to say things that irritate us. People are just not going to be in the best mood on a certain day. And if all that you do in your service 
in your singing, in your preaching, in your teaching, in your showing acts of mercy or encouraging other people or even in praying for healing is how people respond to you. You will not be able to show love. And Paul says that the focus of our love as a community should be the other person, should be giving up ourselves, should be demonstrating in action how we care and love the other person. And lastly, Paul shows us that love is permanent. Love is permanent. It shows us the permanence of love, and we see this in verses 8 to 13. So Paul says to the Corinthians that love is the most excellent way because it never fails. He says love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul says love never fails. Let's say it together, love never fails. And what does he mean by this? Does he mean failure as in an exam where you don't pass something? Or is he talking about something else? And to help us understand what he means by love never fails, he talks about the temporariness of spiritual gifts. He says, there's coming a time when prophecy will no longer be needed. There's coming a time when tongues will no longer be used. There's coming a time where there will, there will be nothing that you have to have faith for. There's coming a time where there will be no need for word of knowledge. It says, because all these gifts, not just the ones I've mentioned, not just the one he has mentioned, but all the gifts are for now. In verse 10, he says, when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And so he makes the point again that love never fails because it does not disappear. It is always existing. It is always permanent. It is always alive. In other words, spiritual gifts are valuable. And like we've been covering, we've, been, we've discussed through the series that we should pursue them. We should desire them. We should long for them. They are valuable. They're important for the life of our community. But Paul says that they are only meant to serve love. They are only meant to show people the beauty of love. They are only meant to show people what this love is, the love of Christ. And he illustrates what he means by complete, completeness by using three things. He talks about, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. Some of us may remember words that we struggle with as a child, things that he wanted to say that he couldn't say well. When he wanted to say daddy, he kept saying dada. Or you see young children around us, like my son. Anytime he sees milk, he can't say milk. And so he calls LN and KT, and so he says mint. And there are some of us like that, we know this from our own experience. But then when we grow up, we can suddenly pronounce words well. Why? Because something called maturity has happened. And Paul says, when this completeness comes, it is a completeness that brings maturity. It is a completeness that serves 
to bring us to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, like he says in Ephesians chapter 4. He talks again using the illustration of a mirror. And so he says that now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And unlike now where we have mirrors as glass, glass things or glasses, back in Paul's time, they didn't have glasses as mirrors. And so what they had was metal. And people would polish metal. They would shine metal the way um, military men, soldiers, polish their shoes where you can actually see your face in the shoes. That's how they shine metal. And that was what they had for their mirror. And so those mirrors were never clear. They were always dim. They were always a little bit fuzzy and hazy. You could make out a few lines here and there, but you never could actually see what the real thing was. Paul says, when this completeness comes, you will see clearly. Amen. Nothing will be dim again. There will be a completeness of knowledge. But he says also, now I know in part, and this is Paul, this is the great apostle Paul who has been to the third heavens. This is the great apostle Paul who has experienced the risen Christ appearing to him. This is the great apostle Paul who has taken the gospel to nations. He says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. Talking about a completeness of intimacy. And some of us here, we have great relationships, great relationships with our spouses, great relationships with our children, great relationships with our family. And Paul says that all those great relationships pale in comparison to the completeness of the intimacy that awaits us. And so on the one hand, we see here, this is a great reason to continue to pursue the gifts. Why? Because we live in this age. We live in an age where we only know in part. We live in an age where we see in a mirror dimly. We live in an age where we are still like children trying to make out words. And when someone is here in the congregation who has a word of prophecy, someone is there who is gifted with the word of knowledge, someone is there at the back who is gifted with a song to help other people, someone is there in that other corner gifted with mercy, we bring all those things together and God is able to build and God is able to disciple and God is able to grow us as his people, as a community together. But he says all those things as great as they are and we should keep seeking them, all those things pale in comparison to the completeness that is coming for us. So what is this completeness Paul is talking about? In verse 12, he says that it is a completeness that is coming then. And you're like, no, no, Paul, I don't like, I'm tired, I don't want clues, I don't, just tell me what it is. When is then? We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that then refers to a coming age, a time that is coming. It refers to a time where the resurrected Christ returns as the crucified king and comes to reign gloriously on earth. It refers to a time where, like Revelation says, that the, the kingdom of God comes down and becomes the dwelling of men. It is an age of completeness. It's an age where you no longer need prophetic words because the very thing that you, that you want to be prophesied about exists in front of you. And Paul says, because of that, even though faith, hope, and love are great, he says, in that age, there is nothing to have faith for. He says, faith becomes sight. Hope becomes reality. And love doesn't disappear, but only increases and remains unbounding. But you see, as Paul points our attention to this coming age, 
we realize that Christ is not just a returning king who is coming to reign back gloriously, but Christ is rather the very king of love who has already come for us. And through his life and death, he shows us what real love is. You see, unlike the Corinthians in verses 1 to 3, where um, they, they are content to live a life of lo lovelessness, Christ rather lives a life of love. He doesn't seek his own gain, but he comes to serve us. He doesn't seek his own benefit, but like in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says he comes to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When he was mocked on the cross, rather than respond angrily like he would have been justified to do, he responds rather in patience and kindness. He doesn't get angry towards his enemies. He doesn't rain down judgment, rain down fire on them like we pray across our churches. Rather, he, he blesses them and he prays for them. He could have refused to go to the cross to suffer for our sins, but we're told in verse 7 that because love perseveres, Christ persevered through that suffering for us. And so friends, Jesus is not just a model of love for us, rather Jesus is the love of God displayed. He is not just an example for us. He is an example for us, but he's not just an example for us. Rather, he is the very love of God typified. And maybe you are here, you are not a Christian. Or you are here and you are struggling in your walk with Christ. Some things don't make sense. Can I tell you that this very love of Christ is extended to you this very morning? This same Christ has given himself for you. He hasn't looked at you and, and said, look, this guy is hopeless. Rather, he continues to persevere and continues to call you to himself. Can I ask you to respond to Christ this morning? Can I ask you to trust in Christ for your salvation this morning? But if you are here and you are already a Christian, Paul says that this love is already at work in our hearts. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he says, the love of God has been poured into our hearts. Not just the way the um, water works, tap works, and the water is dripping from time to time. And even when it drops, it is orange, lecky water, muddy, murky, never clear, and you have to buy a purifier to purify it. No, this love has been poured and shared abroad in our hearts. In John chapter 13, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he says that the one quality that the world is going to know that pe these people are his children is by how they love one another. Can I ask that if we do not show love to the people around us, to our community, we're not expressing our gifts in love, we're wasting time. So I started with a song by Tina Turner. What's love got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love but a sweet old-fashioned notion? And Paul says, no, it's not just a second-hand emotion, rather it is a primary necessity for living the Christian life. Paul says, no, it's not an old, sweet-fashioned notion. Rather, it is a very present reality that continues to exist to the end of time. And there's another song that actually captures that. There's a song called, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love. And it was popularized um, at the height of what was known as the Jesus Movement in the 1960s and 70s. And I'll just read it. It says, we are one in the spirit, we are one in the Lord. 
We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. We will work with each other. We will not compete. We will work side by side. And we will guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. And they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, the world will know that we are Christians by our love. Can I ask us this morning to just ask God for a fresh outpouring of this love in our hearts and in our church? We don't just want to be the kind of church where everybody just does their own thing, but rather a church where everybody is dripping with the love of God to serve other people, to serve those around them. We want to see a marvelous display of the Spirit of God amongst us, healing, doing miracles, in preaching, in teaching. But more than that, we want to see the love of God expressed through us. Oftentimes in the Bible, you see Jesus Christ being described as walking and he loved a certain person. And so out of that love, he spoke the truth to them. This is what the Bible calls us to this morning. Lovelessness is poor. Love is focused on others. And love endures because it is permanent. It points to a coming age. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Charismata series. We thank you for how you've challenged us and how you've rebuked us and urged us to continue and press on to more. Lord, we thank you for the gifts that have been unleashed in our congregation, Lord, because of your word in this series. Lord, but we're asking, oh God, Lord, that all these gifts, Lord, will be served by love. They will be served through love. They will be expressed in love. Help us, Lord, not to be a community where we compete against one another, oh God, but help us to be a community where we love and care for one another. Help us to be a community where, like your word says, we outdo one another in love, in acts of charity, oh God. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that continues to help us. Thank you, Lord, because you always believe in us. Thank you, Lord, for all this and more in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.